Are you feeling really stuck in your trauma today? And you don't know if you even have a thing to say. And you can't get out of bed when you feel this way. And you've got nowhere to go. There's a podcast that's here for your recovery by two people that include both Kate and me. And we've been there too, and now we're feeling free. So welcome to our trauma show. Welcome to the Trauma Show, a trauma recovery podcast. I'm Philo. And I'm Kate. And we're your co-hosts for another trip down the trauma river. (laughs) (laughs) It's a... It's a whole river of trauma, and we've been sailing on it for a while now, and uh, we're getting somewhere. Yeah, finally got paddles for the canoe and everything. Paddles for the trauma canoe. (laughs) And today, our friend Kevin is joining us. We're pretty excited about that. We're going to be talking about sexuality and shadow work. It's going to be an exciting one. It'll be interesting. And we got mail. How exciting. Let's see. So today is from Anthony in New Mexico. And Anthony says, hey, trauma show. I've been counting the yellow things in the room and I'm still having issues. Help. (laughs) (laughs) Ooh. That's never good. Unfortunately, sometimes it doesn't help just to do one color. Sometimes you have to go with multiple colors or switch over to shapes. Just because one tool is really working for one person doesn't mean it's going to work for everyone. And sometimes it'll work one day and not work so well the next. But I think the most important thing, Anthony, is to not just stop on the yellow things. Because yellow is not a, I don't know, I don't know where you live, but in my house, I think I can see one yellow (laughs) thing in the entire room. So, okay, one thing. Oh, that's not necessarily enough to, like, take my brain back out of trauma mode and bring it back into a logical place. So, yeah, don't just stop at the yellow things. Add the blue things and the white things and the black things and the red things and the round things and the brown things. And just keep going (laughs) until you realize that you've calmed down. Hey, Kate, Kevin's here. Hi, how's it going? (laughs) Thanks for having me on your show. I'm so excited to be here tonight. (laughs) Thanks for coming, Kevin. We're excited to have you on the trauma show. We are. So let's start off with the traditional. About what age was your trauma started? Um, My trauma started when I was around seven and eight years old. Basically, I was uh, in the neighborhood with some friends and a young boy and I were holding hands and some of the kids in the neighborhood thought that that was a problem. And then they wanted to help me with that. And that's kind of the spiral of my sexual abuse. It's kind of where it started for me. Sorry. <laughs> then you like, you, you grew up and um, you became an adult. And then like, it was never an issue ever again, right? I was going to say, I'm just like a fully well-adjusted adult and everything was perfect. And... I mean, obviously. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> Womp womp. (laughs) (laughs) So did it end up impacting your life in the future? So ultimately, when I was around 22 years old, I was dating this woman. We were about to get married. And I realized that everything about my life, the relationship, the job, all these things I had done, they weren't really for me. And I was living a life for someone else entirely. And it wasn't really making me happy. And I really was having, I was having nightmares 
I was just having a tough time coping with daily life. And I realized when I started reflecting, I had a string of relationships that were like this, where they got to a certain point and I just couldn't connect personally with the other person. There was something blocking. You know, I did all sorts of things. We had conversations. We, you know, were emotionally available for each other. But for some reason, um, there was just a gap there. And I felt like I just really could never actually get close. So that's when I really started to say, hey, there's something I got to do. Um, and so I, at that point, I kind of started doing therapy of all different types, um, not really knowing that complex childhood trauma is unique in that only certain types of therapy really are effective, and then even fewer are effective long term. So that's kind of the path I went down. <laughs> and, you know, it's quite a rabbit hole. And it just took me years to even really find resources that were helpful at all. And ultimately, at one point, um, my therapists and uh, family recommended that I start seeing a psychiatrist. So once I, once I started down that path, they were offering me all kinds of um, alternative therapies and medicines. And then my whole system really went out of whack. And it wasn't until I stopped taking any sort of medication altogether and I found the men's sexual trauma group that I really started having some kind of feeling of camaraderie of, of, oh, okay, it's not just happening to me. There's a community of people who's working through this also. Um, and then I guess as the, as the phrase that we use in that group often is that, you know, slowly after a long time, the, the ship slowly started turning. So what about now? Fast forward to now, <laughs> I feel like I'm just in the most amazing place with everything in my life. Uh, I, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I spent the last year in an intensive therapy program. Um, I ended up doing uh, something called family integration systems therapy work where you deal with shadow parts. And that was really what I struggled with. Um, I was actually diagnosed with uh, dissociative identity dis disorder so that I have kind of a fragmented personality and that different parts come out to protect me or handle different situations. So it's interesting to, to then meet those different parts with a therapist talk through things and really then actually have her talk to these shadow parts and kind of be a third party almost witnessing this happen. Like what is going on? <laughs> Am I crazy? She's like, no, no, this is normal. It's fine. Everything. <laughs> I'm like, Oh, wonderful. Okay. Perfect. <laughs> so much of trauma recovery can feel crazy. <laughs> so it's like, you know, is there, um, is there any other tools or therapies that you particularly focused in on? For me, I found that this uh, daily gratitude practice, one of the therapists I was working with told me that the Dalai Lama actually does a daily gratitude practice. And if the Dalai Lama needs to remind himself every day, <laughs> the rest of us for sure need that. I was like, okay, I'm going to do that. <laughs> And, um, and the weird thing about it too is that like there's actually I think science behind that like the, like when you actually practice a gratitude practice <laughs> it like actually starts to change your brain chemistry after a while so it's power it's a powerful tool for sure yes I've been really feeling that I really just I feel like I'm in such a good place and like I can finally see that there is a light at the end of the tunnel and that like I can have a full amazing life and do whatever I actually want to do. Um, and it kind of returned me to this state of feeling like a little kid. 
I don't know if you guys experienced that at all, but I, I literally, I started watching all these old Disney movies and animated films and uh, just loving it. <laughs> oh yeah. Kate and I have definitely <laughs> like, you know, I think the whole sh- trauma show from the song at the beginning to the, the goofy at the end is like a couple of 12 year olds or something <laughs> <laughs> like and and not caring if we sound what it sounds like anymore. Like we're just gonna have fun. Woo, 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 woo. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. <laughs> and today, our topic is what, Kate? Sexuality. Sexuality. Mm-hmm. What does that have to do with trauma? <laughs> All kinds of stuff, depending on who you ask. Yeah, it seems like in my independent, casual, random surveys that I've been doing of trauma (laughs) survivors since I've been doing this over the last three years or whatever, I don't think I've run into anyone, male or female, that hasn't at some point had like doing this like questioning of their sexuality, particularly as it relates to trauma that's occurred in their life. So why don't we start there? Wonderful. So I found that it was really challenging early on uh, because I was so exposed to sex so young that I was kind of just thought that was normal. Um, so then from a young age, I was exploring and sneaking out and hanging out with people and just kind of getting into trouble. Um, and it was, uh, it was definitely focused around sexuality most of the time. Um, and that also kind of drove my thought patterns. I feel like, you know, I'm sure that most people when they're going through puberty have that a lot, but I feel like it never turned off. I feel like that's all I could ever think about. And it was a little bit frustrating at times. I was like, man, is this just how life is? This can't possibly be this way. And then all my relationships really became centered around sex as well. And then as an adult, I really couldn't connect with people, as I had mentioned. And that was really challenging. That was really frustrating. It made me question if I actually was attracted to people at all. I thought maybe I'm just, maybe I'm just not sexual. Maybe that's just a protective mechanism I developed and I'm just really not into anything because it seems like it all is, is kind of triggering at different times or in different ways. Yeah, I agree with that. And it feels like intensity wise, sometimes it just has to be all or nothing, right? I, uh, I really got into BDSM when I was very young. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever dealt with that at all, but that really became something where that was almost a crutch of my sexuality. And then if there wasn't this intensity to it, then it was just kind of like boring and vanilla. And I was like, eh, not really that into it. This is kind of, kind of just silly. And then especially when I was trying to connect with just people on a regular basis, most people aren't necessarily ready for heavy bondage (laughs) you know you have to ease into it you got to ease into that (laughs) my therapist was talking once about how when you have sex for the first time like your brain floods with all of these particular chemicals right so it's like you know serotonin and stuff and it's like this feels good this feels great it's exciting i'm nervous whatever so you get all this stuff going on but then if you're, if you're, and if something traumatic is happening to you, like you're in terrible danger and it's violent and something's going on, it's like your brain, brain floods with all these chemicals that are like specific to 
for lack of a better word, violence. And so when these two things are going on in your brain at the same time, when you're forming this new experience, it's uh, they kind of get kind of intertwined. So it's like, I appreciate your honesty. And it's also sort of like numerous people I know in trauma recovery who have talked about how, unless the volume's up high on this, it's like somehow not worth doing. I kind of got this message early on that like sex was sort of all I was good for. And so I sort of figured that like, I don't know, there's definitely been periods where having sex was like a handshake for me. It was like, oh, hi, yes, of course we can have sex. Like I have no boundaries. I have no, you know, like whatever, you're interested in me, then okay, that's all that matters. And I had a therapist at one point who like, you know, we did a little like sort of exercise where, you know, like, tell me about like the last 12 people you've had sex with or whatever. And I sort of like did a little snapshot of who they were, who they were. And he was like, now what do these people have in common? And I was like, um, absolutely nothing. Actually, there couldn't be a more different Ages didn't seem to matter, colors, whatever looks like, nope, nope, nothing in common at all. And he said, the one thing they have in common is they were interested in you. And I was like, holy crap, are you serious? So I certainly related to that. Yeah, I feel that. I am, (laughs) because I have such bad body image issues, like my big thing was always if somebody was interested in me, of course, I'm going to jump into bed with them because I don't know if I'm ever going to have anybody love me. I equated it with love. And so it was like, if you love me, then obviously you want to sleep with me. And, but that was the only way that I knew how to connect with another human being. I didn't realize that that wasn't love. It's a physical interaction, but it's not love. There's a vast difference. I found that one thing that was happening with me was that I really ended up equating um, having a female partner in particular with feeling safe. I found that with that initial experience basically taught me, you know, boys aren't safe. You can't love boys. Girls are okay though. And then there was this safety net with a female. So if I always had a girlfriend, no one would question my sexuality. If she was really attractive, Oh my gosh, well, look at you. You must be a real man because you like girls and, you know, (laughs) all this toxic masculinity stuff. And I really, I really held on to that for a long time. And I was definitely a serial dater, as they say. When I started trauma therapy, too, I think part of my thing was I have a history of not having successful relationships. But kind of getting that part of that was I wasn't even really sure what my sexuality was. So if I was like seeing someone who was male, there was always sort of this background sort of like, but wait a minute, am I really gay or am I gay because of like what happened to me? And then, and then, but if I was going out with a woman and I have dated women at different points, it's like, it was like, oh, wait a minute, like, why am I? I have this sort of revulsion going on at the same time. And is that because of my trauma? 
And it sort of became this cable knit sweater that like someone kept knitting while I was unraveling it. And it just, for years, it would just go on and I was never getting anywhere with it until I finally ended up like pulling the plug and looking at the trauma underneath it all. Sort of that weird chicken and the egg question, like, you know, do I like guys because I was sexually abused or do was I sexually abused because I like guys? Like, is, is this the reason people were picking on me because... Or, and which came first? And then the whole thing with women is just the opposite because I also have some sexual abuse stuff with women and it's like, you know, how does that play out? Oh, well, maybe that's why I feel like I want to throw up afterwards. <laughs> I don't think that's a normal response, but is that, is that a normal response? If you've been sexually abused by somebody? Quite possibly. But at the time I was, it was just all super confusing because I couldn't know, I couldn't make sense of any of it. Yeah. I had an issue with revulsion in general. Like I, I remember growing up thinking like I wanted to, I really want like this connection with a guy. I really want to get married and I want to have kids and like just romanticizing different ideals like that. And so I always thought I was straight. And then like, as I grew older, I realized that I had this revulsion towards men. And then I was with a woman and I, that didn't feel right either. So I was like, am I just not somebody who's sexual? Am I just going to be like perpetually alone my entire life? Like, how does this work? How is this going to happen? And so it just, you know, it folded in on itself and it took me a long time to look at that and realize, you know, of course I'm going to have revulsions and stuff because I don't know, I haven't dealt with the trauma. I hadn't dealt with any of that yet. And so in not dealing with it, I'm reliving it and, you know, having those feelings towards somebody who wasn't obviously there. And um, it took a long time to get to a different place. And even now it's been four years since I've been in any kind of sexual relationship because I just, I don't know how to be a sexual being at this point. That's what it feels like. It feels like I don't know what direction to go into right now. I also definitely had some revulsion issues and shame issues. Um, I was brought up in the Catholic church. So just sitting in the pews and hearing all these things about sexuality and this is a sin and this is bad, um, that really did a number on me. And it was kind of like something that was knocking on my door all the time. And I was always, oh, no, I'm, I'm a heterosexual male. Nope, I'm heterosexual. No one noticed. <laughs> and people noticed. <laughs> I, I dressed, you know, I had a flamboyant edge to me. People noticed. They would challenge me on it. And then I would uh, immediately turn to that, you know, very aggressive, hyper-masculine, fight-or-flight, you know, brain mentality. And it really made me not a nice person. And I feel like all that just spirals out from just owning your truth. And, and it's funny because not that a child could be expected to know this, but it feels like if I was comfortable talking to my parents about sexuality, like things could have been different with my particular case. And that brings the whole thing in where, you know, we are breaking the cycle. I really am going to make a point to be so conversational with when I eventually, hopefully, have a family one day. 
And I feel like that's a generational thing. I feel like there was a generation who just like wouldn't talk about it. Everyone around me was always putting this idea in my head and reinforcing that. And you were talking earlier about the, the movie fantasy. I used to go to bed at night just fantasizing about like falling in love and having some, some little movie play out and then happily ever after. And that would give meaning to my life. <laughs> wow. <laughs> And then what happened? <laughs> <laughs> and then, <laughs> wow. <laughs> oh my goodness. I just really, I was just so unhappy that I finally decided that I couldn't be unhappy anymore. And owning my truth, it, you know, it was hard because I, I really found that the biggest person who was afraid of being my full self was me. And the people I was surrounding myself with were fully accepting of any version of myself. And I just wasn't, I wasn't blooming fully yet, but I was at least in the right environment. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of one thing that when I found myself in the right environment, which was California, <laughs> not mm -hmm. the East coast, <laughs> um, that really changed the whole, exactly. The whole world was different. And I was like, Oh, it's so sunny here every day. <laughs> yes. Oh, so I just really, I can't help but feel like moving out here was the key. I feel like the culture out here is so open in a way that it provides the opportunity for people to have that conversation and for it not to be such a scary thing. I feel like my psychosexual development just got stuck. And then a whole lot of other baggage got dumped on it for the next for years. So it was like... I sort of came into th to this trauma recovery therapy, like, I got to figure out what's going on with my sexuality because I'm, I'm getting older and I got to find a relationship and I got to find a relationship now because I'm getting older and I don't even know what I am. I don't even know what's going on. And I got to do it now. And there was this tremendous sense of urgency around it all. Like, I got to do this now, <laughs> you know, and then eventually, you know, my therapist was like, what if you're bisexual? And I was like, what? He's like, no, what if it's not one or the other? And I said, oh, that's too simple of an answer. Stop, <laughs> stop making this being simple. You know, and then it was like over time, it was like, okay, what if I am bi? You know, and I went to the bisexual pride parade. And was in like, but okay, yay, I'm bi, everyone. Here I am, so I'm bisexual. And it was like, oh, oh, this doesn't really feel right. But like, okay, yeah, sure, whatever, you know. And the weirdest thing is like, I think over the three years I've been doing this, it's like in the last year in particular, it's kind of like, oh, yeah, I am definitely gay. I am so gay, it's not even funny. But there was so much stuff around being gay in my mind that was so tied up in trauma I don't mean this to sound as judgmental as it might be, but there's some really toxic stuff going on out there that's that's almost sort of like condoned and celebrated in a weird way. So it's like, this is what gay is. And it's like, no, that is definitely not something I agree with. And there's so much celebration of power dynamics and weird age, different relationships and things <laughs> And the reality is, is that the same things happen f for heterosexuals. I mean, it's the same stuff, 
But for whatever reason, my particular brand of trauma saw all the messed up stuff as being gay. I mean, in part because, you know, there's just not a, there weren't a whole lot of role models for like really sort of, you know, dad and dad, Betty Crocker relationships, you know, or anything. So it's different now because I see gay is as multitude of things from as sick to as healthy as possible out the same as it is for really anybody else. I found that ultimately abstaining from sex for about a year and a half was something that was really helpful for me to just take a step back. And I started dating myself. That's what really helped me. Um, and I would take myself on dates, you know, every week, every two weeks. And I would, the, and the key for me was like, I would like take myself on a date. Like I would order two meals. I would have like one for now, one for later, but I would get to try both things. And I would like treat myself to dessert and like, you know, wine and dine myself a little bit here and there. And that really made me feel like I wasn't necessarily missing out but that I was just getting to know myself. And that was like so helpful. I was like, oh, okay. I'm pretty cool, I guess. <laughs> I guess I'd want to date me eventually in the future when I'm not so traumatized. <laughs> <laughs> I had attempted to do something similar for a while and then, well, COVID hit and dates got a little bit harder. But, <laughs> but um, you know, I realized that I wouldn't treat myself like... I wouldn't treat somebody else the way I treat myself. I put myself down, but I wouldn't do that to somebody else. Or I wouldn't give myself enough credit for something, even though I would for somebody else. So I realized that there was this disconnect. So because of this disconnect, I thought, what if I dated myself? Maybe that would be a good idea. And I did something similar for a while. And it, I just kind of dropped the idea after a while because of COVID and everything kind of going on. And it was like life kind of moved forward. But it's all, I think it's an awesome idea. I think it's a good experiment for anybody who's going through issues because then you start to realize like, this is how I should be treated. I should be treated better than maybe I've been treated in previous relationships, maybe better than I treat myself normally. Like there are things that you learn through that process. Yeah. There's this book I saw a long time ago called Looking for Mr. Right, but settling for Mr. Right now. <laughs> the gist of this book is that, like, rather than looking for Mr. Right, why don't you start working on becoming the Mr. Right that you're looking for rather than just expecting them to show up? It's a process. It's definitely a process. Another thing about this, too, is just how... I mean, very early on, they were telling me that, that the research shows childhood trauma does not seem to impact your sexual preference as an adult. And I think, wow, really? And then, and then I, so I started looking into it. And apparently it's pretty true. And on top of that, they're really sort of discovering that sexuality has a lot to do with genetics, too. It's sort of predisposed. So regardless of whether... You've been whether there's trauma involved in your in your childhood in the sex department, you know it's like it it shouldn't affect what your sexuality is as an adult. And so, and I think at this point, I'm kind of willing to go. Okay, I can agree with that. 
but boy, it sure pollutes and confuses it along the way. It, it takes time for, it takes time to kind of have all that dust settle. You know what I mean? Yeah, I tell you, I actually found that I'm kind of returning to some of the ideas I had about relationships when I was really young. Like when I was young, I wanted to have multiple partners. And basically, I was fantasizing about a poly relationship. And at this point in my life, I'm in a poly relationship. And that's something that we're doing in a healthy, responsible way. And it's like, oh my gosh, this is totally normal and not a big deal. Wow. Um, and it, it kind of feels unbelievable that I can have that in my life, uh, especially with what happened. <laughs> that's awesome. I don't, I've, I tried to do that once. It just didn't work. <laughs> I was too freaking mental all the time about whatever. I, instead of just being mental about one person, I was mental about more than one, and it was not. It wasn't good. How did you get into the shadow work, Kevin? Um, I started working with a therapist who does uh, something called family integrations, family integration systems therapy. And so um, that's just how I got introduced to it. And it's funny because it, it's uh, a, a lot of it deals with disassociation, which is something that I would experience a lot as a child, especially around sexuality. Um, and so my therapist had a guide with me of, I would put my hand close to my face or far away of how disassociated I was in the moment. So that was a way I could communicate to her. And then she helped me learn how to get back in myself. And by doing that kind of work uh, with her, I then learned how to be in my body during sex, which took a while. But, you know, in time, when I was dating myself, I would have like sexy dates, you know, where I'd like light some candles and like put up a bunch of videos and like, you know, just be really nice and be like, if I'm going to like wine and dine myself and make myself feel sexy, how would I do that? And so that was like something that, um, but I, and I would give myself like an hour and a half, two hours take a bubble bath and you just have a long time to just no rush, no really just like discovering kind of more so. Um, and that was, that was wonderful. <laughs> I was like, Oh, <laughs> I'm kind of, you know, kind of fluffy. <laughs> <laughs> I've got nothing. This is an uncomfortable topic for me. I got to admit. Um, yeah, no worries. No pressure. Yeah. Just because just brings back a lot of stuff, you know? Mm. And it's still well, something I struggle with. And you know what? That's okay. Mm. It's okay to struggle with this stuff because it's hard. Of course. I'm, you know, I can talk about stuff more than actually do it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, a lot of my talk about sexuality has been, is theoretical. <laughs> <laughs> So it's been good to kind of turn the oven off, let the temperature just cool down, you know, and start to looking, looking at like, okay, when I turn this back on and start having sex again, what exactly do I want that to look like now? What do I want that to look like as a healthy person who's recovered from trauma? What do I want that to look like in a way that's taking care of not only me, but my inner child in the process? You know what I mean? It's been interesting because the last relationship I was in was in 2016 and it lasted all of six months. And I let him move in after two months because 
that's who I am. And that's the kind of boundaries I had at the time. I haven't been in a relationship since because it's like, I just, I don't know how to navigate them. I don't know if I'm uh, gay or straight, to be perfectly honest. Like, women are attractive and I've been attracted to women in the past. So it's like, do I want to go this way or that way? And I just, I don't know. I'm just confused. You know, I'm a, con- a ball of confusion. <laughs> I'm a ball of confusion. And, and like, so like, you know, but that's, it's just one of those things. It's going to take time. And, you know, if it takes longer than the four years it's already been, then I guess it's going to take longer than that. Cause you know, and then COVID ha- happened and I was like, cause originally I was thinking maybe I'll start dating this year. Like in the beginning of 2020, I was like, I'll get on one of those apps and it'll be cool and whatever. And then COVID happened. I was like, that's cool. It's totally fine. And, uh, <laughs> and um, so now I'm back at this place where I'm just like, I don't know if I even want a relationship or a sexual you know, liaison with anybody right now. So I don't know. It's just all confusion right now. Oh, I want a sexual liaison with someone. (laughs) Don't definitely do. (laughs) But I do not want a sexual liaison with someone unless I really want to have a sexual liaison with them. And that's a whole kind of a, like a new thing, kind of. I've had lots of sex with people over my life that I really had no interest in. Sorry if you're listening to the trauma show. <laughs> I had sex with you. It was, a, I, you know, I was bored. <laughs> I'm sure they were one of the people that you that you that you enjoyed it. You know, <laughs> that was one of those special connections. The special ones, yeah. yeah that was really special. So. And you know what else is special, Kate? What? Our breath. Our breath is an amazing thing. It's something powerful that we use in our sexuality, but it's also something we can use as a tool in our trauma recovery because, you know, rather than talking about heavy breathing, (laughs) I think we're talking about, let's talk more about coherent breathing because, you know, one of the really cruel things that I learned, which I really didn't have any idea about, was the fact that, you know, our in-breath is connected to our sympathetic nervous system. And that is the nervous system that jacks you up in a crisis. And how many times are we being told when we're having anxiety or a panic attack or whatever that it's like, we just need to take a deep breath. <laughs> and it's like, oh, no, 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 no. That's actually not always helpful i mean it's helpful for some people but it's you know it's part of the sympathetic nervous system so it's not going to get you where you need to go the out breath is the breath that's connected to the parasympathetic nervous system which is our nervous system which brings us back down it's our cool down nervous system so if we're going to be doing some breathing if we're going to be doing some breath work in terms of trying to calm ourselves we really need to be focusing more on our out breath and less on our in breath i definitely agree with that i love uh circular breathing like the four eight breathing if you guys have ever done that where you have a longer exhale than the inhale so you want to take a four second inhale have a little, have a second pause and then a slow eight second exhale with another pause. And the idea is you want to stimulate the vagus nerve and calm your whole system down. 
And you just keep doing that as long as you can until you really get to a calm state. Um, I use that a lot uh, in my trauma therapy groups, just to like, if I'm activated, especially it's very helpful. Yeah. I was using it actually one time in the ER and I was taking that pause in between. And the woman looked at me and was like, are you holding your breath? Like, cause I was starting to hyperventilate cause I just, I couldn't breathe. And I was having that panic attack and it was like, no, I'm not holding my breath. I'm pausing for a minute so that I can like not die because <laughs> it feels like I'm dying right now. And I know that's not true, but that doesn't make me feel any better. So it's like taking that pause and then doing the exhale for eight seconds and just, you know, trying to stay in that moment and trying to stay in that breath. And it really does help. Yeah. And there, you know, there is an automatic function of the body that can be voluntarily controlled through our breath. And it's our respiratory system, you know, and like by having conscious breathing techniques going on, we provide easy access to the autonomic communication network of our nervous system. And by changing our breathing patterns, we start sending these specific messages to the brain that have powerful effects on our thoughts and our emotions and behaviors. So, I mean... Previously, I think they really thought that like our brain controls our body. And what we've been able to really see now is that, no, well, yes, that's true. But it's also can go the other way. And the easiest way to like to affect our brain via our body is simply through controlling our breath. And by slowing it down and slowing our, our breathing down, we're slowing our heart down, and then that starts sending these powerful messages to the brain. There's also an app called the Breathing App that's really helpful. Yeah, is it free? It is. That's cool. And it's like one of those ones you just like breathe with that helps you control your breath? Yep. I love it. Check it out, everyone. Have you guys ever tried uh, Havening? It's a tactile technique where you just gently brush um, across your forehead to yeah you want to uh, meet uh, at your third eye and you want to gently brush across your forehead light strokes like you're barely contacting the skin yeah so as light as possible and then you want to do the same light motion uh, but just brushing your down your arms from your shoulder top of your shoulder down to your elbows and again just really gentle and slow it should kind of just feel nice and melty as you do it it looks like a soft, melty sort of hug with yourself, like you're hugging yourself a little and stroking your arms. Yeah, and then you should kind of get a little bit of the tingles as you do it. And then it goes to your hands where you can put them in sort of like a prayer position and just slowly stroke them up and down, just the palms of your hands, very gently and lightly. Yeah, you can do it one of two ways. That's one that, that I like as well. Uh, going back up to your head, you want to go to the shoulders again first. That's pretty cool. And how, what's it called? So if anyone wants to Google it and look it up or whatever. It's called Havening. H-A-V-E-N-I-N-G. Uh, but that's another great technique if you're, especially if you're like trying to revisit sexuality and you get over stimulated. I find breath work does not do it for me. So I have to use Havening. I need something to take my physical body down. And that really works if you do it for a good, you know, two minutes or so. I think we're running out of time. Is there anything that you want to plug or share before we wrap things up? 
<laughs> well, no, I do not have anything to plug, but thank you so much for both of you coming and sharing your time with me. This was really wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for being on the trauma show, Kevin. <laughs> Yay. Thanks. For, love Yay. the trauma show. So Kate, that was my friend, Kevin. What do you think? I think he's a pretty awesome guy. I like him. That's because he is an awesome guy. And I'm so happy he was a part of the trauma show. And if you would like to be on the trauma show, you can. We record via Zoom. We'd love to have you. We only know so many trauma survivors. <laughs> so if true. you want to be on the show, drop us a line. You can do so by email at thetraumashow at gmail.com. You can find us on the World Wide Web at thetraumashow.com. And you can also follow us on Instagram or Twitter at The Trauma Show. No matter where you go, it's The Trauma Show. Right, Kate? And if you'd like to leave us a five-star <laughs> review on whatever platform you listen to us on, that would be amazing, too, and we'd really appreciate it. Like this really sweet review from... A-S-D-F-G-H-J-K-L-C-Q-M-P. We love you, A-S-D-F-G-H-J-K-Q-M-P. The review is a five-star review. It says, a breath of fresh air. It says, a light yet serious look at the damage that adverse childhood experiences can have on our lives. It's life-altering, but it doesn't need to be a life sentence. Oh, that's good. We should use that. Listen to Philo and Kate. They know what it's like to be a survivor and offer some practical advice on how to live life free from the symptoms of PTSD. Awesome. Aww, thank you. Thanks so much for the review. And if you could leave us a review or send us an email, we would love to hear from you. So please do so. And if you'd like to support our podcast, you can do that through our homepage at Anchor FM. The link is in the podcast description. You can just click on it and you can make a little donation to keep us going because we're doing this all for fun and for free, but we got expenses and we'd love your support. You know what Havening kind of reminds me of, Kate? What? Tapping. Remember tapping? Yeah, a little bit. We'll have to, I think we should talk about tapping next week. I think that's a good idea. Because next week is my three-year trauma recovery anniversary. Woohoo! Woohoo! So <laughs> I think we're going to have, maybe we won't have a guest next week i don't know we'll see it's our 10th episode it's a landmark episode <laughs> our 10th one and we're kind of excited about it so um tune in next week and uh we appreciate you listening right kate yeah. thank you so much so thanks for listening to the, the trauma, trauma show that's a trauma show for today we hope you had fun listening to trauma on the trauma show with Kate and Philo here in Los Angeles, sitting in the kitchen, <laughs> eating some tacos because we're getting tacos early this time. We didn't wait till afterwards. <laughs> we were too hungry. We wanted tacos now. We didn't want them later. Tacos are always better now. <laughs> so, yeah, the trauma show. Thanks for joining us.